This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. Newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 227 of the universe's most popular newscast, The Bugle, for the week beginning Monday, the 11th of March 2013, with me, Andy Zaltzman, 48 time nominee in Great Guy Magazine's Husband of the Year Awards. Shh, don't tell my 49 wives, one of them is going to get cranky. And I'm live in London, the city that houses, amongst other world famous attractions, the Queen's House, the Prime Minister's House, and my house. Coincidence? You decide. And joining me from New York City, it's the Manhattan Mirthster himself. The man who, later this year, will become the first co-star of The Bugle ever to host The Daily Show. <laughs> Bad luck to all the, all the buglers who put their money on me in that little race. It's the self-styled pneumatic drill of unavoidable truth himself. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, buglers. I'm in a hotel in uh, Maryland, and we've been shooting a piece down here about gun control for the last couple of days. Most of America wants more gun control, Andy. A smaller part of America wants less gun control than they have now. And an even smaller part of America wants to have their hands surgically removed and replaced with guns. (laughs) So I guess what I'm trying to say is gun control is a very complicated issue here. But you're right. Just, we should probably get something out of the way before we get going. As buglers may or may not have heard, or just heard, John Stewart, who, who I work for, has written a movie, and he's going to be directing over the summer. And so for the couple of months that he's away, I am going to be hosting The Daily Show. And believe me, buglers, it is even weirder for me to say that out loud than it is for you to hear it. Essentially, I've got just eight weeks to destroy everything that that man has spent 14 years carefully building. <laughs> it won't be easy, but I think it can actually be done. Uh, now, his are obviously extremely big shoes to fill. It's like wearing comically oversized clown shoes. You just have to hope that it's at least funny when you inevitably fall over and land on your face. <laughs> and i tell you what did not calm me down at all, Andy, and that was sitting at home the evening after it was announced and seeing it talked about on the nightly news here, which was a quick way to have my balls take a one-way trip into my stomach, especially when it came with an inbuilt zinger uh, from Brian Williams, who said that I was going to be guest-hosting the show with my, and I quote, thick British accent. Now, to that, I say this. You back off, Williams. You watch your mouth, because you haven't seen anything yet. You have no idea how much I've been holding this accent back. (laughs) Don't make me turn it up to somewhere between a Ken Loach movie and a Victorian chimney sweep, because I can and I will. Wait until I open the first show by welcoming people without using any consonants. (laughs) Ow, an elbow, an alio. The point is... It's going to be a simultaneously fun and terrifying summer, and you are all welcome to tune in and witness the strangest weeks of my life. <laughs> well, uh, you've had certain excitement, clearly. John, I had a cricket stat that I'd uh, dug up and tweeted, quoted on the BBC's commentary of the New Zealand v England test match. So I guess we've both stayed, taken a little step into the showbiz big leagues this week. <laughs> We're both taking W's away from this weekend. <laughs> what was the stat? Uh, the stat was that uh, actually it wasn't one of my best ones but it was that England have been bowled out for under 200 in their last four first innings of the series 
away from home. That's good. And when you heard that read out on the radio, Andy, were you just moonwalking around the room, high-fiving yourself? <laughs> well, to be honest, I just got into bed. It was quite late at night. I'd been uh, working on some stuff. I just put the radio on to check the score, and within a minute, they said, uh, there's a stat from Andy Saltzman. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go, that's it. I've made it. I can now yep. die happy. <laughs> that's what it's all been building up to, John. So uh, we're recording on the 8th of March. It's happy 196th birthday to the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> Have a lovely day. Treat yourself to some wild speculation on something. It's your special day. And it's 50 years on Tuesday, uh, the uh, 12th, or 50 years since Lee Harvey Oswald bought the rifle used to kill John F. Kennedy. Oh, that's not, That's yeah. a lovely anniversary. Yeah, which means that on Wednesday, it's exactly 50 years since the CIA bought that rifle off him in exchange for a <laughs> lifetime supply of Hershey's chocolate. What a bargain. Top story this week. Hugo, he go. Oh, no. No Joko, because Hugo, he no, no. <laughs> now, look, is that the most respectful thing I've ever done, Andy? No. Is it in bad taste? Yes. Do I regret it? Absolutely not. Uh, Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan leader, socialist and occasional clown, died this week. He was 58 years old but had the energy of a three-year-old and the ingrained eccentricities of a 94-year-old. <laughs> and I know that there's been some push out there from Buglers for Hugo to receive an official f- eulogy. And I just want to say that that will not be happening. You, you have to understand... What the quali- what qualification requirements for f**k eulogy membership are. It's not easy to deserve one, and we have to keep the bar high. That's right, yeah. So far, so far they've been issued to the likes of Bin Laden and Colonel Gaddafi. Let's not dilute the term by flinging it around to anyone who's even slightly annoyed us. Because is Hugo Chavez a first ballot Hall of Fame arsehole? I don't <laughs> think so, Andy. <laughs> Could he be irritating? Yes, but in many ways that was one of his greatest charms. <laughs> yeah, you got as you say, you got to keep that bar high, otherwise you end up you know, putting Robert Plant in for his 1980s album Now and Zen, and that just doesn't seem right, does it? You've got to keep, you've got to keep the standards. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't. It was. It might have been disappointing, but he didn't murder hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> That's right, Crackers from Caracas. The Venezuela railer has flung his final barb. He's cracked his final pot, barked his final woof of defiance, stroke idiocy, delete as you see fit. Uh, Gone for 58. A spectacular and often controversial innings, as uh, John has suggested. And indeed, as the title of his forthcoming biography suggests, Hugo Chavez, hero or (laughs) He did not... uh, he did not just split opinion, John uh, Chavez. He slathered opinion with whipped cream and popped a cherry on top. Was he a progressive trying to right the wrongs of social and economic history in favour of the poor and disenfranchised to carve an independent course for a nation away from the control of oligarchs and outsiders, raising living standards for those whom capitalism often forgets? Or was he a lunatic megalomaniac who further restrained his own people beneath the retrograde dogma of his own self-mythology? Or was he just a regular guy doing an extraordinary job with a funny hat and away with words, starring Vin Diesel as Chavez, Anne Hathaway as love interest Eva Perron, James Cromwell as Barack Obama, and Peyton Manning as himself? Bit, re- <laughs> bit revisionist. That's the point, Andy. I know that global opinion on Hugo is divided, but I think there's one thing that everyone can agree on, and that is that he had a commitment to the beret. <laughs> Even the French had long since given up on the beret, Andy, but Hugo 
he he hung in there with a the beret to the very end, and I think that's something you you simply have to admire. It's not an easy hat to wear, Andy the beret. You have to be confident because if you're not extremely careful, that beret can end up wearing you. That's a fact. <laughs> The funeral for Hugo Chavez is today, and it caps a week of mourning in Venezuela. Earlier in the week, uh, his coffin was taken in procession through the streets to the military academy, where he's been lying in state. Uh, Chavez supporters in Caracas have been telling the media all week that he is not dead to us. And, well, that line is not just emotionally blurry, because it's about to be physically blurry too. Because uh, Chavez's body is apparently going to be embalmed and permanently displayed in a glass casket so that, as the current acting president said, his people can always have him. Andy, that is a little bit creepy. <laughs> I mean, I, I get that it sometimes happens, but that doesn't make it any less creepy. When the Queen Mother died, we didn't have her stuffed and mounted to the door of Buckingham Palace, did we? Uh, Even though we I, knew that would be awesome, we knew it would be a huge way to attract tourists, but we didn't do it. Well, I don't know, John. We're going to have to wait for the uh, statute of limitations on the documents to uh, expire on that before we know for sure. <laughs> just saying, it's just got a bit of a thud when you knock on the door. I mean, you'd expect more of a woody sound. It just... It could just be a heavy coat, but it could be a 101-year-old woman's corpse. We just don't know. We just will never know. Yeah, so now he's going to be on permanent display at the Museum of the Revolution, close to the presidential palace, where, of course, he ruled for 14 years. But they shouldn't just have him lying down, Andy, his body. He was a colourful character, and he deserves to be remembered that way. They should have him in a pose. He was a man who loved baseball, Andy. Maybe he could be wearing a baseball glove diving to catch a line drive, or riding a motorbike while firing a crossbow in the air. It's up to them, but let's not remember him as being just asleep. Let's remember him as being crazy. <laughs> now, of course, you know, the death of a 58, 58-year-old man from uh, a disease as, as rare as cancer has set alarm bells ringing, and there have been suggestions that uh, Chavez was, in fact, bumped off by, any guesses... Uh, Chavez himself had already accused the CIA of giving him cancer. Venezuela's uh, acting president, uh, Nicolas Maduro, made the same suggestion, as did uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the Iranian uh, number one, who also claimed uh, that, um, like in the build-up to a sardine-themed fancy dress party, something fishy was going on. Um, amongst the... Um, that's three people, John. You know, no smoke without fire, that's what I've seen. Uh, amongst the other things that Chavez had accused the CIA of doing to him, uh, changing the temperature on his oven so his frozen pizzas always came out slightly undercooked. That's really annoying. And hacking into his World of Warcraft account and changing his player name to Senor Smallballs. There are also allegations by the Venezuelan authorities that the CIA put a remote-controlled fart machine in Chavez's coffin to discredit the former leader whilst he was lying in state. These have been strongly denied by the acting CIA boss, uh, Mickey Morell, who uh, said... Uh, yeah, it's awesome. We can set it off from Langley. We did the same for Brezhnev. Problem was, people thought he was still alive, so we actually stayed in power for five years after his death just because we kept setting him off from here. We started doing it in Morse code. I think that's how Gorbachev got the idea for perestroika. Subliminal fartvertising. Yesterday, Chavez didn't know it, but he told his people to suck his big ones from me on the grave. But uh, no, we definitely did not put a Flatulenzia X8 F-Tech fart machine in his coffin. Absolutely not. Do you want to go on it? But yeah, I think I think this... This conspiracy theory of his death is entirely appropriate, Andy. The most fitting way to mourn such a crazy life is to imply an incredibly crazy death. Uh, because, as you say, uh, Nicolas Maduro, the vice president, said, we have no doubt 
that a scientific commission would find that Commander Chavez was attacked with this illness. And that is exactly what Hugo would have wanted, Andy. If he could have just gone on to say that he had concrete proof that George W. Bush had a cancer cannon that he'd been firing at Hugo from his ranch in Texas. That's the only way that he could give given a Hugo a more touching tribute. I'm pretty sure that if you watch Chavez's dead body at that exact moment, the corners of his lips would have slightly turned up. <laughs> so there's going to have to be uh, a new election uh, in uh, 30 days or, or less. And um, one Caracas resident was quoted in a newspaper saying, the opposition has to consider that winning an election in 30 days or less against the state machine would be like winning an election against Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, But you have to ask, I mean, would that actually be so difficult? I I I mean, Jesus never actually ran for public office. And you can understand why. I mean, it's typical for political figures like him, he largely maintained his popularity because he avoided the responsibility of having to make tough executive decisions. You know, resurrecting the dead, nifty magic trick, economically absolutely disastrous as a political policy. And besides, when people are actually in the ballot box, John, they're going to be thinking about the nuts and bolts, the practicalities of government, and their bottom-line personal finances. They're not going to vote for an illusionist with a natty line in storytelling. And all his lovey-dovey, be nice to people and don't be a dick shtick, It's not going to cut it when hard political decisions have to be made. And as for his 100% tax on earthly possessions, frankly, he'll be lucky to get his f***ing deposit back. Even Christians would not actually vote for Jesus. And the meek inheriting the earth, where is the reward for hard-working families who've slaved away trying to earn a living when the meek were mostly unemployed because they traditionally are useless in job interviews? Get the f***ing lot. No way, mate. Where are your costings? Let's see the numbers. It's all very well getting a load of free booze for your buddies at a wedding, but when are you going to fix the potholes in my road <laughs> good point Andy. yeah take that jesus i am not voting for you on a number of levels chavez's death was of course by no means a surprise as he's been seriously sick for more than a year now and perhaps it's time to look back at some of his more memorable moments in power he was a bugle favorite Andy, and he earned that title with some top level whack jobbery he was Famously, of course, a staunch critic of the U.S., particularly of George W. Bush. Who can forget his phenomenal speech at the U.N. when he famously described him as the devil, saying, the devil is right at home. The devil, the devil himself is right in the house. And the devil came here yesterday. Yesterday, the devil came here, right here. And it smells of sulfur still today. He then flash the kind of smile of someone who knows that he just won a bet for saying that. (laughs) You you didn't think I'd do it. I said he smelt of sulphur. You owe me three burritos, and now you have to get a Hugo is numero uno tattoo on your arse. Uh, He went on to say, yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, from this rostrum, the President of the United States, the gentleman to whom I refer as the devil, came here, talking as if he owned the world, truly, as the owner of the world. And you realise, Andy, that in many ways, President Bush was Chavez's muse. But he never quite seemed the same after Bush had gone. All his best work was inspired by him. They, they hated each other, but they spurred each other on to newer, crazier heights. They were like late-period Lennon and McCartney, Andy. It's like Borg and McEnroe all over again. Yeah. In a nationally televised speech in 2006, Chavez described Bush like this. You are an ignoramus. 
you are a burro, Mr. Danger. Or to say it to you in my bad English, you are a donkey, Mr. Danger. You are a donkey, Mr. Bush. You are a coward, a killer, a perpetrator of genocide, an alcoholic, a drunk, a liar, an immoral person, Mr. Danger. You are the worst, Mr. Danger. The worst of this planet. A psychologically sick man. I know it. He seemed to be on the edge of breaking down at that point, Andy. And don't you ever leave me, you bastard. <laughs> These have been the best, worst years of my life. Armand's <laughs> interview said another quite amazing thing. He said Chavez would return on Resurrection Day. He said wow. he had no doubt that Chavez will return to Earth along with Jesus and Imam Mahdi, the most revered figure among Shia Muslims, to help establish peace, justice and kindness across the planet. So, um... Oh, what? Chavez is in pretty illustrious company there, Andy. <laughs> That's right. He better wear his best beret if he's going to be between those two guys. <laughs> I like a politician who talks faster than he thinks, <laughs> Andy, and, and who's not afraid to take a linguistic flight to whack Jobistan. And Chavez, of course, in another highlight, once referred to Condoleezza Rice as little girl, saying, remember, little girl, I'm like the thorn tree that flowers on the plain. I waft my scent to passers-by and prick he who shakes me. Don't mess with me, Condoleezza. Don't mess with me, girl. <laughs> that doesn't sound like an insult, Andy. That, those literally sound like song lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> this is from my new song, Don't Mess With Me, Girl. <laughs> Remember, little girl, I'm like the thorn tree that flowers on the plain. <laughs> I waft my scent to passers-by and prick he who shakes me. Don't mess with me, Condoleezza. Don't mess with me, girl. Well, I think we've had a little glimpse into what the Daily Show's going to be like this summer. <laughs> the songs of Hugo Chavez. I like uh, what your person in your hotel room next to you must be thinking right now. <laughs> I was... I was expecting them to be bangs on the wall long before this happening, so I'm presuming someone's dead. <laughs> or it's oh. Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> That's right. And she's just holding her hand on her heart saying, the wind, he's singing to me on the wind. <laughs> also, Andy, who can forget the time at the Ibero-American Summit in Santiago when King Carlos of Spain looked at Chavez and said, why don't you shut up? <laughs> to which Chavez could have entirely fairly replied because I can't I just can't I have a condition I can't shut up I'm about to say something about you now I can't help myself I think there's something wrong with me but there's no way I'm going to try to fix it so uh, yes the body is going to be permanently displayed in a lovely glass crystal casket so uh, in the words of uh, Maduro his people will always have him he belongs to you he told uh, the Venezuelan people, and that, John, that is an awkward present. Uh, I'll, I'll thanks very much, Mr. Maduro. What a very thoughtful gift, a corpse. Uh, as it happens, I was just saying to my wife how much we needed a corpse. Darling, we're going to have to get that mantelpiece widened or it's going to topple off onto the dog. He, Chavez, in one of his uh, more incredible moments, even declared a war on Halloween. In 2005, he issued an attack on Halloween, telling his countrymen that it had no place in Venezuelan society, saying, what they've implanted here, which is really a gringo custom, is terrorism. They disguise children as witches and wizards, and that is contrary to our culture. And that's, look, that's easy for him to say, Andy, and he's playing to his base. And it's, it's politically useful, I get it, but 
It's easier to say that before he's seen Americans dress up their pets too. Because <laughs> it's so easy to take a hard line like that. It's much harder after you've seen a, dro- a dog dressed up like a bumblebee. At that point, you find yourself having to say, you know what, this gringo custom is actually incredible. We should absolutely get involved. I think I'm going to dress my cat up like a washing machine. But also, trick-or-treating is the foundation of all international trade and diplomacy. So. <laughs> true. (laughs) The international community has sent in warm tributes to Chavez all week, Andy. When I say international community, I mean basically everyone apart from the United States. (laughs) Uh, Ahmadinejad announced a day of mourning in Iran, uh, as you say, describing Chavez as a martyr. I'm guessing that statement didn't get America any closer to buying a with sympathy card for Chavez and (laughs) popping it in the post. Uh, Nor did the fact that Bashar al-Assad also sent a telegram from Syria saying, the death of the fighter, President Hugo Chavez, is a big loss for me personally and for the people of Syria, as big as it is for the people of sisterly Venezuela and for the noble and free among the peoples of the world. And I think the telegram must have mistakenly cut off there, Andy, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that it must have gone on to say, I mean, obviously, take all this with a pinch of salt, because I'm a total arsehole. And I should also say that the people of Syria may have to put off mourning for Hugo for a while, as they're a bit preoccupied at the moment with watching Syria tear itself apart. Something which is entirely my fault, by the way. Anyway, at times like this, I like to think of the words of my favourite band, LMFAO, who said, When I'm at the mall, security just can't fight them off. And when I'm at the beach... I'm in a speedo trying to tan my cheeks. (laughs) This is how I roll. Come on, ladies, it's time to go. We headed to the bar, baby, don't get nervous. No shoes, no shirt, and I still get service. (laughs) I think that says it all. Godspeed, Hugo. (laughs) Shine on, you batshit diamond. Italy news now, and, well, the papal conclave is about to be underway, Andy, with the Cardinals in the Vatican about to play the official game of Roper Pope to try (laughs) and pluck themselves a new pontiff. But it's not just the Vatican which is in the midst of political upheaval. Italy itself is politically f***ed with a PH. The Italian general election last week produced a stalemate result between centre-left and centre-right blocks, with the centre-right block headed up by... By, by, yes, you've guessed it, the star of the horn identity, (laughs) Silvio Berlusconi. (laughs) Berlusconi's political career, Andy, is just like his penis. Just when you think it's finally down and will stay that way forever, somehow it gets back up and ends up rising to a place it has no business being. Must be artificially stimulated. It cannot be natural anymore. (laughs) Global markets reacted very badly to the news of uncertainty, in Italy, as it emerged that there is almost no fathomable way that they are going to be able to form a coalition government. Uh, France and Germany urged continued reform, while Spain described the result as a jump to nowhere. It's basically a bungee jump, Andy, and there are some serious concerns about the strength of the cord. I think it was the Spanish foreign minister who described Italy's election as a jump to nowhere with positive consequences for nobody. And, wow, that is a lot of negativity in one sentence from a foreign minister, Andy. Tell us what you really think, Senor Scalzalot. 
Uh, extraordinary effort from uh, Berlusconi, although he didn't yeah. win. That's um, I mean, it's a terrific performance from someone who uh, just uh, in October of last year was sentenced to four years in jail. So, I mean, that's <laughs> a remarkable electoral well, he, performance. He himself said that everyone should now reflect on what to do next so that fresh elections could be avoided, saying Italy must be governed. Everyone must be prepared to make sacrifices. Um, Berlusconi then paused before saying, for instance, why don't you sacrifice that bikini top lady? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And then dropping the microphone saying, it's no good. I can't change. I just can't do it. It's your fault for continuing to try and elect me. I'm taking no responsibility for this. Uh, the main uh, issue emerging from the Italian election was the performance uh, of the Five Star Movement led by a comedian and satirist Beppe Grio. Um, whose party had become the biggest in the Italian parliament just three years after they were founded. Now, uh, it's called the Five Star Movement, John. Truly, this man is a genuine comedian. He's clearly obsessed with reviews. You know, it's, it's one thing putting them on your poster, another thing creating a whole political party to flash them about. But um, it's, it's, it feels, feels like quite a sort of landmark moment for uh, European uh, democracy is whole movement based on the internet candidates were picked in online primaries it has no headquarters no local offices and uh, basically running on a uh, redistributing wealth attacking privilege uh, and cutting spending on defense and um, boosting public schools and health care it's um, and clearly the european political establishment is shitting an entire house full of bricks <laughs> as uh, a result of this Grio capitalised on public despair about uh, recession and unemployment uh, and poverty. That's sort of a common theme across the democratic world, a kind of dissatisfaction with uh, conventional politics, with the outdated customs, parties and structures of the past. And the sense that mainstream political parties are doing little more than urinating on each other's deck chairs as the Titanic goes down. And you have to ask... You know, this kind of more egalitarian type of democracy with uh, you know, the youth fully involved based on direct participation. Is this what we fought world wars for, John? Or in Italy's case, is this what we fought world wars for and against? So people <laughs> could do more than just waggle a pencil at a piece of paper every five years. No, it is not. As Mitt Romney so eloquently inferred in last year's US election, voters are essentially interfering little shites who seem intent on screwing things up for people whose tax returns prove they are inherently superior, and for the poor little markets who, as you said, John, are absolutely terrified by the instability that this has created. But it does it just feels like European democracy is about to burst into some kind of new form of flower. It might be a shit flower, but it will at least be a new flower. It was pretty remarkable. Beppe Grillo never gave a single interview to Italian TV during the election uh, run-up, and yet he has nearly 170 seats for this protest movement, receiving 25% of the vote, and has now become the single largest party, the largest single party in the whole country. That is how pissed off Italians are with their government, Andy. <laughs> they voted in a huge number for a comedian who ran on a platform of basically telling current politicians to go f*** themselves. <laughs> But, um, there's a lot to be said for that, though. There is a lot yeah, to be said it's, for it. It's, it's, it is an entirely legitimate point. <laughs> um, and Berlusconi's miracle comeback uh, came 
partly as he presented himself as the anti-austerity candidate, giving an extremely seductive platform, pledging not only tax cuts, but talking of actually handing back some tax already paid, which, for a country in the kind of economic mess that Italy is in, is one of the single stupidest things that I think <laughs> I've ever heard. And in response to all this, a, a Germany opposition leader uh, last week made waves by claiming that uh, Mr. Uh, by describing uh, Beppe Grillo and uh, Berlusconi as clowns. And you know, I've got to say though, Andy, they're pretty good clowns. To be fair, <laughs> they're some pretty high-end clowns, and it's even more impressive that Berlusconi's still in the running, especially because in his latest legal snafu, he was sentenced to another year in jail this week <laughs> over an illegal wiretap. He was accused of arranging from a police wiretap concerning a political rival to be leaked and published in a newspaper run by his brother. <laughs> Classic Silvio, Andy. He's going to appeal, so he'll remain free in the meantime. But that is by no means the end of his legal sagas, because let's not forget that, as you mentioned, he was sentenced to four years recently. He's currently appealing against a different year-long jail sentence for tax fraud and faces a verdict in his sex trial in mid-March, where the allegations are that he, a 76-year-old, paid for sex with an underage prostitute. So you can really see where Beppe Grillo was coming from with his just all of you go f*** yourselves argument. (laughs) Yeah, so you got another twist in the fascinating tale of Silvio Berlusconi, who has not been quite as much in jail as someone sentenced to four years in jail might have been over the last six months. And you have to think after this, John, if Silvio Berlusconi had been the Roman emperor he clearly has always dreamed of being, by now he would have been assassinated at least 18 times by his own bodyguards. So I guess swings and roundabouts for living when he does live. Bugle feature section now, Animal Slaughter! (laughs) Animal Slaughter, not just the name of the death metal band Walter Cronkite fronted for 15 years in the 1960s (laughs) and 70s. Not just the third most popular name for baby girls, according to attention-seeking celebrity magazine. And not just the Major League third baseman who played in the 1890s franchises, including the New York Vomiteers, the Boston Imbeciles, the San Diego Snouts. But also... Animal slaughter is one of humanity's all-time favourite hobbies, from working out how damn tasty you can make a goose if you feed it 25 three-course meals a day, whether it likes it or not, via formulating indispensable new shades of eye makeup by electrocuting monkeys to death, or whatever they get up to in labs, to realising how heroically fun it is to be out in the mists of Mother Nature fighting mano a mano with her most magnificent beasts, armed only with a massive gun. Now, it might sound unfair, John, but... To be fair, the animals have home advantage, so, you know, 50-50. But humanity has always found that whilst animals can be fun to play with, there are even more fun to slaughter, animal slaughter. And if there is one thing that this famous species has devoted more time to than developing ways and reasons to kill each other, it's developing ways and reasons to animal slaughter. It's like, it's like Cronkite's back with the, got the band back together, Andy. Animal slaughter! And now here's the latest from Richard Nixon. Um, uh, in, uh, in British animal slaughtering news, around half of uh, this country's growing deer population is going to need to be slaughtered, John. It's going to be shot every year to stop the devastation of woodlands and bird life, according to a group of scientists. A cull of 50% of Britain's 1.5 million deers is necessary uh, to ensure that Britain's supply of venison is sufficient to keep the nation fed with succulent, 
gaming... Oh, no, sorry, no, I've read the wrong version of that story. A cull of 50% of Britain's 1.5 million deers is necessary, according to scientists, to ensure that at least 750,000 households can be fitted with a pair of decorative antlers for people to hand... Oh, no, hang on. I've, no, sorry, I've just read the wrong... It's, it's, I'm not sure that... Anyway, the point is, you cannot move in Britain for deers now, charging around, antling stuff out of their way. There are now more deers in Britain than at any time since the last Ice Age, and those are just the ones that have filled in their census forms. So, um... The question is, how do you go about slaughtering 750,000 animals with weird pointy shit on their heads that could have your eye out? Will the government pass this buck to the people and say, go on, knock yourselves out, kill half of the deers that you see? Or will you have to trick the deers into coming to an open-air screening of Bambi on a giant screen in Hyde Park and then unleash a load of football supporters who've been told that the deers support a team geographically close to the team they support and just let nature take its course? To be honest, it's crying out for a TV game show. Celebrities and bandanas charging through the undergrowth, trying to bring down a deer with their bare hands, with that slightly hollow look in their eye that says, I really hope this does for my career what my agent said it's going to do, before eating the deer whole and saying, I really wanted to win this task. It's easier than you make it, Andy. Drones. Deer drones. <laughs> That's the American take way. Take a tip from the Obama administration and rain the pain from the sky. Get those deer with drones. I guess the other option is... Uh, Deer adoption. Now, you uh, famously, John, adopted a dog yeah. uh, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, are you interested in uh, having a herd of deer as well? Mm, well? I'm certainly, at the very least, interested in getting a pair of antlers to put on my dog's head. <laughs> I'm interested in a dog deer. Does that count? Well, it's a possibility. I mean, it's a good hook, John, if you're, uh, you know, with your new Daily Show gig. You know, Who's that guy hosting the Daily Show? Uh, I don't know, but I've heard he keeps a herd of deer in his flat. Well, in that case, he has my undivided attention. He's, he's pretty eccentric. I've heard, I've heard there's 16 deer in his house. <laughs> and he's got two stags. It makes no sense. He's not getting any sleep. They're just fighting all night. So, Buglers, if there's any animals you'd particularly like to see slaughtered, uh, do let us know. Info at thebuglepodcast.com. And John will slaughter them live on the Daily Show. Well, that you've got to you've got to carve your niche, John. Yeah. So. Uh, well, it's a crowded marketplace, like yeah. television, Andy. So one, you have to market yourself as eccentric, and you know, living with sixteen deers in a small apartment in New York, <laughs> that's, that's definitely going to help that. But also, live animal sacrifice. Yeah. It is that is going to be controversial, well, you... and you know, controversial means ratings. So <laughs> yeah. that's right. I guess I guess what we what we've learned from working this out loud is that I just need to kill animals live on television <laughs> and live with deer. You could ride That's your it. deer to work, yep. and then kill it. <laughs> well, that is an almost sadistically well thought out plan, Chris. I think Thanks. that says more about you than it does me. If you want to going to impose your own distinctive twist on the show, John. I know it's a very well established uh, formula, but you know a section called John Oliver's Live Abattoir. That is, I mean, that's going to get people talking, John. Well, I guess, because it's all about, as well, especially on American television, and it's all about advertisers. That's so, right, yeah. you know, Then I guess if there's, like, a barbecue sauce that would like yeah. to uh, buy some advertising times during that break, it would kind of make sense. That's right, carpet cleaning products, you know, that's, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but you, know, you don't have to be better than John Stewart. You've just got to be different. That's, that's the key. <laughs> that's right. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Tell you what, before, before I start in a few months, uh, if you could give me a kind of a, <laughs> a psych-up talk like that, that would be great. All right, yeah. Because, you know, I've been in showbiz now for, what, now, 
for sort of about 14 years, you know? Yeah. So uh, my unbroken run of successes on British television proves that I know what I'm talking about. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll workshop a few ideas on the Bugle before you start. Your emails now, and, uh, well, a lot of people have picked up on the uh, exciting news, John, about uh, about your uh, new gig, um, or your upgraded gig. Uh, this came in um, from Chris in London, uh, who says, Dear John, Chris and Andy, in order of uh, who will be most personally affronted by this news, <laughs> I work for a newspaper in London, and part of my job is to trawl our competitors' websites to see what big stories they're covering. When I was able to prise myself away from reading about Justin Bieber and Kim Kardashian on Mail Online, imagine my surprise to see The Times feature an article on Jon Stewart taking a hiatus from The Daily Show and how he will be replaced by, quotes, an unknown British comedian. Oh, come on! Come on! I thought... We were on your payroll for years! I thought this puzzling, says Chris, considering your podcast used to feature quite prominently, I say quite, I mean it was just there, on the very same website. (laughs) John, I think it means that at long last, you've arrived. What a zing from the Times, John. I think it proves they were never looking at me. <laughs> that, that's the only way of explaining how we were with the Times for so long. They, I don't think they knew we were there. <laughs> uh, we have an email here from Jim Vickers uh, with the title, Do Molecules f***? Uh, and saying, Dear Chris, John and Andy, in the order I've listed you. Fair, fair literal <laughs> yeah. point. I was listening to Bugle 221 regarding a science section that was in the bin. I'm a graduate student of chemistry, and at the time I was weighing out a sample of sodium tungstate (laughs) where the question was presented, do molecules f***? (laughs) I believe I have a definitive answer to this from a paper published in the real and reputable journal Inorganic Chemistry in 2004, see attached. (laughs) In this work and seeing the figure, a molecule which is clearly dick-shaped, this is a graduate student, Andy, a molecule which is clearly dick-shaped. Brackets complete with tip. It's inserted into a ring molecule that I believe your culture would refer to as a fanny. You may also wonder that what that funny double-sided arrow means between the two. And, well, basically, it means that this was going in and out repeatedly. Also worth noting, and not surprising, is that the work was done by a research group in Brazil. They can make anything sexy. I guess whoever said chemistry is hard was right. And a million other dishes. Jim Vickers, graduate student. Well done, so Jim. there we go. Well done. So we have an answer. Molecules do indeed. <laughs> do keep your uh, scientifically informative emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com. And don't forget to check our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. And also don't forget to take out your Bugle voluntary subscription at uh, thebuglepodcast.com and win yourself a lifetime supply of justified satisfaction. On the merch, uh, the long-awaited launch of the Bugle merchandise, uh, is it even more imminent than it has been for the last year and a half? Well, that's not hard. It's not hard (laughs) to be more imminent than basically not happening. Uh, uh, We've cleared the first batch of products, and uh, it'll be available, hopefully, uh, in a week or so. Uh, in Britain and uh, a little bit after that in America. And that's going to be... It's the fashion event of the year, I think. Well, that's very exciting, Andy. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely sensational. So that's all we've got time for in this week's uh, Bugle 227. We'll be back uh, next week uh, with 
Bugle 228. John, any other shows that you've uh, got your eyes on to uh, take over as interim host for in the next, uh, uh, next week? Well, I mean, yes. It's all, it has to be part of a much broader plan, Andy, so... Yeah. Anything from America's funniest home videos to a Rachel Ray's cooking show. I want to be Rachel Ray, basically. <laughs> what about Bill O'Reilly? He's got to take a holiday every now and again, hasn't he? Uh, does he, Andy? I mean, he, he could really do with taking a long holiday, a permanent <laughs> holiday, if you will. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. Anyway, thanks for listening, Buglers. We'll be back next week. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.